thanks everyone for coming along. Uh, my name is Stephen Liaros and this is my partner Nelmini De Silva and together we've been developing these ideas around a, a new human settlement theory. And uh, we've invited Marcus, uh, Professor Marcus Vogt from uh, QUT, Professor of Urban Informatics who we're starting to develop a, a working relationship with and hope to advance some of these ideas further. So, uh, so we talk about human settlements and the reason for that is if I had talked about cities or towns or villages that would immediately invoke a particular idea in your mind and I wanted to talk about the broader idea of a human settlement, how do we settle on the land, how do we live on the land and can we think beyond settlements like the indigenous people did uh, who saw the land as a uh, network of water holes with uh, song lines that connected them. So their focus is on the connections between the places, primarily, um, and not just on the settlement. So human settlement theory, and, and part of this is about talking, you, thinking about the language that we use and how in moving to a new economy, we're actually sometimes trapped in the language, um, that, that the language was developed in the current system that we've developed, cult cultural system that we've developed. So uh, when I, for example, use the word economy, not many people would think in terms of management of the household, but that's where the idea comes from. And, and so uh, our focus is indeed on how we manage households. And that's not talking about a household budget, it's talking about how we design the place that we live and how we connect with other households, other places that people live. So. You could think of that then as the household as the basic unit of society and that's something that has a bit of currency in, in the political debate that uh, the household is the basic unit of society and that's how uh, Aristotle uh, worked, uh, mentioned it at that time. But if you think of this household not just as your, your home but as, as that basic unit, you start to think in terms of two different economic systems like within the household most things are a gift economy. There might be some sort of credit arrangement where you say, I'll do this for you if you do something else for me, but primarily it's a gift economy. And outside um, the household, in exchanging with others, that's the monetary economy. So you would have heard Samuel Alexander and um, a couple of other speakers yesterday talking about how we expand the household. And by expanding the household economy, we're diminishing the monetary economy. So that's the, the direction that we're developing this model. And if you think about the type of households that we've created, it's deliberately detached. It's separating us off from everybody else. So the gift economy is minute and uh, the monetary economy is huge. Uh, and, and this is just some demographics. 24% of households, this is figures for New South Wales, but they're quite similar across other states. 24% of households have only one person in them, so there's no gift economy there. Two person, so um, more than 50% of households are not sort of family household structures, it's one and two person households. So how do we design uh, for the, that breakup of demographics rather than continually designing detached households, 67% of all our housing is detached households, much bigger in rural areas where there's no apartments or terrace housing. So we very much know that it takes a village to raise a child, that we talk about how do we build local community. 
and we argue that what we need to do is move away from this notion of a household and think of it as the basic unit of society. How do we create a basic unit that's bigger than the average 2.7 people that we have, but is actually a village type scale? And we use the figure 150, which is the Dunbar number, which is uh, an anthropological number that suggests that that's the scale at which we can know everybody else without having to build hierarchies and structures. So how do we build units of that scale? And this is the model that we're starting to develop, where we also expand it not just in scale, but beyond just housing or shelter, to an integrated food system and a water system and an energy system, where we're able to use the new technology of an energy microgrid that powers a water microgrid that then irrigates a food system. And we build the housing to minimize energy demand and have shared spaces and workspaces. And, and then you're starting to build a, um, yeah, so small private spaces and many shared spaces, boutique industries, waste to resource micro factories. So we're building this idea around the idea of a circular economy. So aligning with natural cycles, but also converting any waste to a resource. How do we use things in a systems way, thinking in systems and cycles? We'll ask Neil to take on yeah, so just to say a couple more things about this, because there's some concepts that we've been talking about at this, this um, um, conference that I wanted to address. And one of them is population, and there's a lot of conversation about this in Australia. The problem with population is also what are they consuming, and have we designed their spaces to reduce their cons consumption? So for example, if, if in, a, in a house, 40% of your electricity consumption is space heating. But if we design the house passively, then we can severely reduce that consumption. Another 20, 25% is, is, is um, water heating, you know? So if we did these things right, we can automatically reduce consumption. Now, what we're talking about, so you said 200 people, right? If we design for those 200 people within the capacity of the catchment, and then we don't exceed beyond that, but then create another hub somewhere else, and we have this decentralized system, then we can actually manage the population. We don't really have to talk about the population, we just have to talk about how they're living, how the space is designed. Mm -hmm. So we can actually, we only have 20 million people, you know, 24 million people here, we can actually have more people if they are recycling the grey water and reusing it, if they are recycling the black water, if, if you are looking at this, and that's the thing about the circular economy, it's about reducing waste. It's about looking at that nexus between energy and water and designing so that you're kind of reusing the same material over and over again. And so again, we're talking about regenerative development. And this is the other conversation we've been having, growth, degrowth, right? But growth is not as bad. If you want your forest to grow, you want to increase your biodiversity. It's about where that is happening. And in the Western world, we have this idea of always looking at things in a black and white way. One thing is good and one thing is bad. But actually, there are two sides of the same coin. If you look at nature, there's growth, and then there's decay, and then there's regrowth. And what we are talking about is designing so that we can be in resonance with that. Um, the other conversation that's been happening is this idea of basic income. What we're saying is, let's create places where we give people their basic needs of food, water, and energy, and access to housing. So rather than giving them money, let's give them the basic 
items that we need to survive. Let's design in such a way that we can actually have this a zero marginal cost going forward. So if you've got the infrastructure put in place to have renewable energy, then once you've paid off that asset, you can have free energy for the rest of your time. So it's about thinking about these things in a holistic way, rather than saying what is good, what is bad, because it's not always the case. Um, and so what we're talking about is creating a network of these hubs. Now, Michelle talked about Bauer region. And we may not always be able to be self-sufficient within one hub, but we are saying we can be self-sufficient within the Bauer region for the most part. There may be some things that you have to import externally, like, say, coffee, for example. But within, <laughs> if you are a coffee addict, <laughs> um, you know, you could start drinking tea. But um, <laughs> so what I'm saying is, we're often so divided because we get very hung up about we must do this. Um, and I think was in, uh, I were in, in, in South Australia recently, and one of the biggest issues there was the population of goats and kangaroos just overrunning the area. And because we spent time with an indigenous community, and we got involved in a goat master, and they, because the goats are eating the desert to bits, okay? And so uh, mastering goats is a way for the farmers and the people who are managing the land um, to, to, to raise some income, but also it's a way to let the land heal again because the goats, goats, are, goats kind of eat the whole landscape to beets. And the reason they are there is, of course, because of colonization and they were kind of let loose and they're just breeding and it's out of control. And so, but because people in Australia don't eat much goat, we kind of master the goats and then descend. The, we, we, this, the meat is set overseas. So it's about rethinking our diets, but rethinking it with respect to the whole ecosystem and, and what we really need to be eating in this, on this continent and why. Before you um, move on from that, yeah. so just the, the network is also about ah, yes, um, reconnecting with that indigenous worldview of a network of water holes ah, yes. that we can pass from one place to another. Without, um, so it's about access to those basic needs rather than <coughs> security, as, as Mary was saying, and being settled and anchored to a place because this is my place and I'm not leaving and whatever. How do we move through the landscape in a much more flexible way? And it also makes all of these sharing platforms much more efficient because you can access, you can have an EV charging station and share vehicles for 200 people, makes them more, makes that infrastructure and assets more efficient. And then you connect with other places in that way. Yes, yeah, so it's about both a physical network connecting the places, but also a virtual network connecting the places. So you're connected in, in lots of different ways. You had a question. I'm just going to ask does that relate to? I heard someone talk about a concept of not money, but the concept of wealth, meaning that you have what you need in order to. Uh, live the life that you kind yeah. of want and yes. relate to wealth and not necessarily money so you can get wealth from different ways yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yes. i mean if you think about industrial the industrialization process it was a process of people leaving an agricultural lifestyle where they were fully self-sustained uh, but earning no money mm -hmm. right and then they go to a factory and they earn a dollar a day and they're earning much more money but they're poor now yeah. so it's a very kind of we 
we imagine that more money is more wealth, but that's not the case. It's being able to sustain yourself is the first thing. And then from that platform, yeah. other things are, are possible. Creativity, innovation, rest, relaxation, connection with others, and, and then other kind of more complex things like building iPads and computers and whatever else you want to do. So. Yeah, lots more to say about that, but I'm going to move on because of time. So we, we basically are working with lots of local governments around the country to find a local government that's really um, supportive of these ideas because we believe, uh, we've come from a long history of working with local government, that to enable these kind of places to take place, um, we've, we've got to embed them in local government policies and strategies. And, and so before we even think about investors or the community that's going to happen, we want to find both uh, like we want to find a council that's supportive, council staff, the planners especially who are supportive in taking it forward, and a community who wants this to happen. So if um, uh, if, if you know of any local governments who might be interested in these ideas, um, and especially we think that it's, it's, it's a really good model for regional areas, um, while we really need to retrofit the cities, uh, we need to also extract people from the cities first, um, and in our case, we want to build a demonstration project to demonstrate all of the amazing things that are happening around the world in, 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 and in Australia in terms of energy and food and whatever. Bring it to one place so people can touch and feel and see for themselves how this works. And so we want to start with a piece of rural land and have lots of land for conservation, land for agriculture, and then a small hub that will be rezoned for living workspace. And, and so often what happens now is, is land is rezoned straight away and then it's rezoned for residential and then it's price, the price goes up. What we want to do is to work with the council so that rezoning doesn't happen till a certain amount of infrastructure is provided. And that is how you capture that uplift in value when land is rezoned. And so this is one of the other reasons we are working with council to say we want a process. We want this to be replicable, but we want somebody else who comes and replicates it to, to, to kind of do the positive things on the land. And so if you know of any regional councils or communities who might be interested to invite us to come and work with them, that's what we are looking for. I speak to them, mm -hmm. they just spoke on their cooperative. Yes, I was yeah. there. Yes, I've had a chat with the Ian already, and uh, yeah, so we've been working with a number of councils in New South Wales and talking to some people in Queensland, and we've been talking to people. So, so just the one up there is, Oops. we've got three questions we're going to pose. Yeah. The first one is, if you know a regional council uh, and a community that want to help drive this process, uh, yeah, let us, let us know. know. Let us know. There you go. Yeah. Just one slide. I'm just going to add to the mix. My name is Martin Sword. I'm a, a professor of urban informatics and QT in the design lab. I've been working on that, that topic of, of cities for a long time. In fact, my um, very first uh, postdoc appointment in 2006 was on the urban village. Um, the Queensland government at the time built a master plan community and they called it the Calvin Grove Urban Village. Calvin Grove was the suburb that was already in existence. But there was an opportunity to look at this um, kind of brownfield um, site that then QT together with the Queensland government developed. And our research was really interested in this idea of an urban village. Why would you have a village um, in the inner city? 
And so one of the key consultants that came in was Richard Florida. And I want to bring up the story because Richard Florida has recently apologized for the kinds of policies that he's been spreading across the world that are still today being absorbed and uh, being translated into policy directions and into um, urban design and city making across the world. And he's written a book which has its own problems, but it's called The Urban Crisis. And so in a way, what we are doing with this project is to look at the urban crisis as an opportunity for regional Australia. But because what we found um, around this, this piece of people being fed up with pollution, with housing uh, inaffordability, with um, congestion and, and so forth, is that um, although our metropolitan areas in Australia are growing, there is an undercurrent. And that undercurrent is moving away from them. And uh, around um, 2016, the NBN um, um, uh, commissioned Bernard Salt, um, the uh, demographer that writes all sorts of um, editorial comments, um, about what's going on there. Why is there this undercurrent of people moving back into the regions? Now, there's really the existing kind of trend around sea change and tree change. And when I'm sort of postulated, there's a third kind of um, genre of people moving away from cities. And that's what he called the um, e-change um, generation. The difference to e-change is that it's a generation much younger. It's not people that are uh, retiring. It's actually people that are in the kind of age of um, their, their, their 20s that are not seeing any prospect of continuing to stay in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane. And so they're looking for a different kind of career pathway, a different kind of um, lifestyle that combines a knowledge economy or digital economy career together with the opportunities and the assets of a lifestyle um, um, location. And so he termed this the, the rise of the lifestyle town. Um, and obviously in that particular context it was enabled through NBN and connectivity. What we are currently doing is working together with, with Neil and with Stephen um, because there is now an uh, increasing recognition that those local governments in regional Australia that are just copying the strategies of metropolitan areas, they are doomed. Because we are already witnessing Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane just heading towards Singapore, or Tokyo, um, and LA. And the kinds of problems of large metropolitan areas that have just been inherited back to the other kinds of strata of urbanization. And so what we've noticed with the whole rigid floridization of regional Australia is um, local governments sending um, um, their staff on um, study tours here to Melbourne to take photos of laneways to kind of identify what does the urban environment look like, how can we make it palatable to the creative class. And so then all of a sudden you're in Toowoomba, you're in Townsville, and they are mushrooming these laneways with you know, nice LED lights, and they're trying to make it look like Melbourne. And a lot of people that are actually moving away from bigger cities in order to embrace a lifestyle, um, uh, a, a, a lifestyle with those kinds of leisure facilities, they think it's ridiculous. And the people already living there, they think it's ridiculous as well. So what we are trying to do in this research is actually point to the fact that regional Australia requires new economic development strategies that are not a carbon copy of the metropolitan counterparts that are just about a pure growth strategy. And that's exactly where this um, piece around a new um, human settlement theory comes in. Because if they do want to do things differently, we need to adopt some of these ideas that uh, Neil and, and Stephen have, have just outlined. Um, it's still about prosperity, and it is about um, developing the regions, but it's not following this uh, very blind growth trajectory that has already failed in the bigger cities.
Thanks, Marcus. So, and you can see here, we're, we're using this narrative because we as humans live by narratives. And there's been this constant narrative that life is better in the city, that you need to move from the rural areas to the city. And we need to create an alternative narrative. The e-change is part of that narrative. The garden cities idea is how do you create uh, a magnet that's outside of the city centres that draws people out. What kind of environment would that be that, that would encourage people to, to come out of the major cities and rebalance the landscape in terms of where people are settled? And I think that that's an important thing. It goes back to that idea of song lines. What are the stories that by which you live? Where, where do they send you? And how do we create alternative stories that draw people in a different direction? And we're working with a number of uh, research partners, QUT of course, my research is at Sydney Uni. Um, University of South Australia is doing an interesting piece of research where they're, we're looking at a discrete population with a broad demographic and asking uh, if we had a nutrition plan for that, that number of people, how much agricultural land would you need to provide that amount of food or a, a significant proportion of that food? So how much land and how much water would you need? And how do we build that into the system? Um, with Western Sydney Uni, there's the community land trust models of, of how we, what are the ownership structures you would have here. And, and this is essentially what we're trying to do. We're setting ourselves up as, as developers to kind of change the mindset of developers, how do you develop land, and that's where we're partnering with all the experts in all those various disciplines. Uh, we're working with Western Sydney Uni to develop this land trust model where the land is owned in perpetuity by a trust, and you buy into that as, as an individual by buying shares or renting. Uh, so it's all about access rather than ownership. But the difficulty that we want to pose for you is is how do we bring investors and residents together? Ultimately, there's this new model called the Baugruppen, which is a, a German idea that's been imported, uh, of how do you uh, build a development collective, a group of people who are willing to work together to uh, work with the particular experts in a particular area that will design a place according to the geography and climate of the place in order to design those water and energy systems and the built environment, um, but informed by how the people also want to live on that land in an efficient way so that we're providing our basic necessities as, as efficiently as possible. So we definitely want to maximise the number of residents who, who would uh, also be shareholders so that uh, there's no external influence of uh, how the development is happening, uh, but we recognise that there might be a split there. So. We're looking at a number of different funding models. There's equity crowdfunding that the Oricop group are, are developing, um, and, and there's a number of platforms. So basically, this is the crowdfunding model that, that has been developed online has been now co-opted by the main finance industry and is developing a similar model. Uh, blockchain communities, community housing providers have access to a whole lot of funds and any other ideas you might have. So they're the, the key questions that we'd like to ask. Don't worry about number four. Um, the community group, uh, do you have a community group or interest group or council area that would like to uh, work with us to advance these ideas? Um, we have a number of uh, experts already in the team, but architecture is, 
is a bit of a gap. So any skills in that area would be uh, would be interested to talk to people, and uh, any funding or financing ideas or platforms. There's a rich philanthropist hiding. <laughs> 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 or any other questions you might have. I mean, we don't want to lock it into that because. Just the antithesis to all of this. Yeah. Um, is that the casino? Okay. The casino. Um, <laughs> no, that was the casino. That's not going ahead. But his cousin, <laughs> large in Karanda, worth six hundred fifty million dollars and four thousand people, and um, high density housing, all this stuff. It's just, it's just a, a mess. Um, so, but what? Um, I, I think you, you've got, you're talking about people leaving urban areas to go into the regional areas. There's quite a lot of development going on within regional areas mm -hmm. as well. Yes. And what happens, you tend to get these horrible housing estates yeah. that just mm -hmm. go dum, dum, yeah. dum, yeah. dum. That happens, if that's happening in Mariba, you know. Like, yeah. So if you're looking at like um, development within yeah. the, the places that are there already, not necessarily trying to get people coming into those yeah. because you also get the attitude when you have lots of people coming into mm -hmm. a regional area that that's not, people don't like not, so they do appreciate, you know, just like that, this whole idea of having a different model. And the thing is that a lot of these developments, they go on to either conservation um, sensitive areas or areas that should be regenerated, they yeah. go on to actual farming land, they go on to the productive land. <laughs> So that whole planning around the ecology there too, that you don't, you haven't stated that in your plan. You haven't said we, haven't we need to look at the ecology first as well. Yeah. We, so yeah. There's a certain yeah. element of the project that is about locality planning. Yeah. So it's about identifying with the local community and the council in their strategic processes where this would happen and how, like in, in one area in, in Bellingen, for example, there's, there's a whole lot of um, uh, forestry area that is no longer being used as forest, but it's been damaged by that process. And they're thinking, well, if we could put a few people here and they could manage and rehabilitate the land, that would be a good outcome. So there's definitely that rehabilitation angle. How do we restore and regenerate the land is, is a very big aspect of how we identify localities. Yes. And can I just say, we, we actually spent three weeks with an indigenous community in the Appleton Tablelands, and it was an amazing experience. They had native title rights and trying to look out and doing something on their land. But the environment that is in all of that is there's lots of complexity because the state government still owns the land, so they have to get all these, they have to go to local government, get the DA process. And not everyone in indigenous communities is necessarily going to do that because they've got native title. And they don't well, this is our land, but you still have to negotiate with the Australian government. So there's a lot of complexity, but you know, we would love to come back to the Appleton and Did you hear about the Kandinji Co-op? No. Yeah. Okay, that's in the, it's close to, it's between Coranda and Meridiba. 
it's some of it has bought quite a lot of land as a community, like there's a group of people who bought quite a lot of land. Um, they've had issues getting permission to actually do the housing of the way they do. They might be interested in your, if you haven't communicated with them, they might be interested in talking to you um, about the models. Also, a comment just about the narrative of moving away from the cities. I think it's already, you know, mm. building itself. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, my sister, you know, moved from Melbourne to Newcastle five years ago. And I couldn't quite understand it. I'm about to probably move somewhere smaller myself. Yeah. Mm. And in the process of doing that, um, you know, connecting other people, what even people have thought, oh, that's exciting, it's great, you know, mm. good idea, you know, it's mm. kind of like, Whereas I kind of didn't, I don't think I would have got that reaction the same way. I've seen this side over 20 years, and like we go to places in in northern New South Wales, and one of the big things that people always tell us is, oh, the culture, and you think like we live one hour from the city centre. And you don't always get to things because, oh, there's no parking, and it takes ever to get trains. Yeah, and people don't want to travel into the city centre. Yeah, and we've got places in another New South Wales. There's a festival every weekend. There's no problem getting there. You've had token on a. That's obviously another shift, and there's a whole other conversation around the disruption in EVs that's happening and automated vehicles. Yeah, but we actually looking to do a green transport plan, and one of the transport plans we're talking with at the University of Queensland is looking into these issues. So all these ideas of car sharing and stuff. So just yeah. Have you been in touch with any of the local government? Associations or peak bodies? We haven't, and no, this is one of the things we've talked. Yeah, and the rocks, like, yeah. In, in Melbourne, for instance, there's the Municipal Association of Victoria, and there's also the Victorian Local Government of Victoria, the MAV. You know, you, it's just a small organisation, but you bring up and you say, which council do you think? Yeah. is doing a lot of work in yeah. ageing yeah. and they know and yeah. everything. I yeah. highly recommend Yeah, them. so we both spend, spend between us the... into that and using local materials and... Most definitely, yeah. yeah. So passive designing is really yeah. a, a big part yeah. of what we're talking about because that's how you reduce mm. energy consumption and stuff. Mm. And so it'll be different, it'll be place-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, but yeah. we haven't gone into in the, to that detail, but the general principle of yeah. what because they as much local as possible, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, so um, I'm wondering if you've thought about a land trust or something. Um, there's a session in a little while, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. but I, I live in Braidwood, little town out of Canberra. We've heard recently that. There's a developing homeless problem, particularly yes. among older women in the town. Yes. Because Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra people are moving in with much more money. Yeah. And prices are going. It's happening soon. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's a common story. Yeah. Common we see women living in their cars with just towers across the windows because we are free camping all the time in our motorhome, and we see there's over 100,000 homeless people in Australia. But there's movements yes. in lots of local government areas, regional areas, where that is the key driver. Affordability is out the window yeah. because Airbnb. People have bought places for to put them on Airbnb and pushed up the price. People from Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And uh, the locals can't afford it. 
or the, their rent's gone up, they can't afford to. So, so there's a, some awareness of this? Or? Oh, most oh absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There's some yeah. of the groups that are helping us in, in some of the areas. Yeah. That they're in Wellington and Central Coast Councils also now we've got a new strategy to address affordable housing. Mm. Sorry, um, just um, say about your East, East up, like you talk about the NBN. I don't know if the cities are the same, but in the regional areas, people say the NBN and they fall over laughing. Yeah. So um, it hasn't quite <laughs> achieved its promise. Um, yeah, well, I think the cities are better serviced yeah. by uh, than well, the regional areas and the regional areas just yeah. Yeah, yeah. just look at yeah. it. But, but a big part of this is building the infrastructure, yeah. so yeah. putting you know, a tower or, or whatever is necessary to at least improve this current situation yeah. is, is certainly part of the possible yeah. project. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, um, I'd just like to form me in the session here, but if you'd like to... <laughs> 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 <laughs>